So we're going to get started this morning on some teaching about prayer. It's been a while since I've really taken any time to tackle this topic, and uh, I want to look back on some teaching that I did a few years ago, and we're going to uh, revive some of that and then infuse some new content for where we find ourselves today. And I've chosen to teach on this topic now uh, because we're in the midst of, in the process of launching a brand new prayer ministry here at Faith Community. Woohoo! So a team... <laughs> So we're going to do more teaching on prayer than I thought. Okay, so a team, we're talking about, you're like, oh no, am I going to get asked? Maybe. But we're talking about a team of people who will be available to pray with you uh, kind of on a rotating basis. They'll be available to pray with you during our Sunday services, maybe as a response to the teaching time or a response to something in the worship time. Uh, we'll carve out some time in our services, make some space available after our services. Uh, we want to create more space. And we're going to do this a little later today, actually, too. Create a little more space in our services to pray with and for one another. Uh, you can either pray with others or you can pray in solitude, even in a group of people. Um, we want to figure out a way to do that. So we're going to do that more often in our services. And then in addition to that, we're actually setting aside some physical space specifically for the purpose of praying with one another or for you to spend time in solitude with God for a few minutes. So as a part of launching this new team, we're talking, it was, we decided we maybe ought to go back and revisit some teaching that we did a while back. I've done at least three teaching series on prayer over the years. And so we're going to go back to some of that and we'll try to freshen it up for where we find ourselves today, okay? So here's the deal. Almost everybody prays. Yes? You can study this historically. You can study it sociologically. It, se it seems to be a basic human tendency to be drawn to prayer. If you go back and look through centuries of human history, there's never been an atheistic culture. There's something ingrained in the human soul and the human mind to ask the question, uh, is there a God? And if there's a God, is he personal? And if he's personal, can I communicate with him? So even if you're not in church regularly, or maybe a friend brought you this morning and you swore you'd never come to church, but you'd never be a part of a church for sure because you've got so many questions and so many issues with God bless you, you can't believe that you're here this morning, then there's a fairly good chance that at some point in life, you have prayed. It seems to be a universal human behavior. It's just part of the human experience. Even if you don't uh, like your local church options, if you can't get away then even from the human instinct to pray, that's at a very base level. So yeah, almost everybody prays. Almost everyone prays, but almost everyone gets frustrated with prayer. And you're probably like, I don't know how to respond to that. Are you allowed to say that? Like in church on Sunday morning, can you say that? I've thought it, but I never would say that out loud. Because I know I'm supposed to love prayer. I'm supposed to pray every day. It's part of the Christian experience. I'm supposed to be comfortable with all the things prayer and praying out loud. But I'm frustrated with it. And it's gotten to where I don't really see the point. And yes, it's difficult. And just so you know, even as a pastor, I get frustrated with prayer. People come to me all the time and they say, say things like, can, can you pray about, you know, and it's all kinds of things they ask me to pray about. And I swear, sometimes th people think that pastors have like this special connection. It's like a, a certain combination of maybe words or magic words. I don't know exactly what they think we have access to, but like we have the password to get access to the vault kind of thing. Here's the deal. We don't. Okay. 
there are times when I get frustrated with prayer. There are some common frustrations. And a while back, a few years back, we did a little survey of our church. And these are some of, the, some of the feedback you gave a few years ago. Some of you might remember this. Common frustrations. Number one, I'm not sure anyone is listening. You're just not sure. This is true of Christians and non-Christians. And you're praying, and in the middle of your praying, you're like, am I just being a fool here? Am I being gullible? Am I being foolish? Is this just bouncing off the ceiling? Is this like a placebo? Is anyone listening? And I tell you what, sometimes I feel that way too. In my head, of course, I believe all the things that we teach around here about prayer. I believe they're all true, but there are moments and there are seasons where I wonder, right? Because um, I don't sometimes feel like anyone is listening. So if you've ever been there, you're not alone. Frustration number two, I don't feel like I know how to pray well. I don't know how to pray effectively. I mean, I don't even know what to pray about. I've got like 30 seconds of material and then I'm done. You know, because, you know, you got your list, you get work through your list, you got points one, two, three, four, on a bad week, five, six, seven, and now what? You know, it's like, I guess I'm done. See you tomorrow, God. Same list. And you hear these super spiritual people talk about how they went to a prayer meeting one time, and then they prayed like for hours, or they like prayed all night, and you're like, what do you pray about when you pray all night? Because like, I would run out of material. Sometimes we just don't feel like we know how to pray. Number three, I have a hard time focusing. Right, I know. Sometimes we have a hard time focusing. In this, I don't know, we can blame social media if you want to, right? Let's just blame that because you get like nonstop notifications and then uh, you get very important texts all the time and uh, phone calls from out of states you've never visited that you have to pick up that phone call. And we, and, we, and we stop to pray, all these things, right? And we stop to pray and we get so distracted and we forget what we're even praying about. We kind of get cut off mid-thought and we lose our train of thought and we don't even know what we're saying anymore. It's just so hard to focus. Number four is the whole praying out loud thing. That's a big one. Because I know from being around church long enough that one of the most awkward experiences in church is when you're in a group of people and the leader attempts to lead a group prayer time. And the leader waits for someone to pray first. And everyone just sits there. How many of you have ever been a part of something like that? Okay, how many of you have ever been a part of like something like that in the last hour? Because some of you were, because I tried this on you today. Because we huddled together with, the, with the, all the... Everyone that's involved in putting put the service together, we huddled for prayer before. And so I thought, hey, here's a chance for me to see if this is really a thing still. <laughs> I've come to the place, just so you know, if you're in a prayer circle with me, that I don't mind the awkward. I'm okay with... I'm embracing the awkward, just so you know. So you know what you're getting into. Uh, sometimes I love the awkward too much. Sometimes... Sometimes I'm like in those settings, I'm like, well, I'm tempted to pray just because I can't stand the silence, right? But that's not necessarily the right reason to pray. So I go, okay, no one else is going to pray. I'll pray when we get this on and get on with this. But sometimes where we want to pray, but we're so uncomfortable with the idea of praying out loud, right? That's another, that's another deal altogether. And you, because you don't, you don't know what you're going to say. And you know, like maybe you've been to church for years and years, but as soon as you start praying, you, you, you know you're going to sound like a complete newbie and people are going to look at you and judge you like, You've been in church 72 years, and that's how you pray? And people are going to judge you, right, because that's what church people do? And the silence is just, so, is just so awkward, and finally the leader gives in, thank God, and prays, and you've survived another group prayer time. So we've all, 
We've all been there. So there's a common fear, even among people in this room, uh, and since we're kind of all about growth and stretching and moving beyond our comfort zones. That's the whole idea here. Uh, what we're going to do today before I done, we're going to get into groups of six and we're all going to pray together and we're going to pray out loud. So that's, the, that's where we're going today. Just see, so no, we're not. I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that to you. Groups of three. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. This is a big deal because we just don't feel adequate sometimes, right? Because we don't feel like anybody, ever, maybe nobody ever really taught you how to pray. Um, and we're bottom line, not comfortable with it. So frustration number five is feeling like God doesn't answer my prayers. Like, I don't know. I don't know why I'm doing this because God doesn't answer my prayers. And some of you, maybe most of us, we've prayed for things and nothing happened, right? We've prayed for situations that we want them to get better and instead they got worse. Some of you have prayed for years for very noble, specific, unselfish things, and nothing happens. Some of you prayed for family members when they were sick, and not only did they not get better, they died. And you're like, well, I, I kind of feel like God doesn't answer my prayers. That's why I don't pray anymore. And for Christians, it's not like that we don't believe in God anymore, but we're just not convinced that He listens when we pray. And what I really want to get to this morning, this has kind of been the theme of my conversations about prayer for the last five or six years, I want to talk about what is the purpose of prayer and why, if God wants us to pray, why is prayer so frustrating? Why is it so mysterious? Why is it so hard to access that? And why do only a few people ever seem to really enjoy prayer and why am I kind of left behind? So prayer is one of the big subjects. And if you've hung around church at all, you'll hear Christians say things like this. You know what? You know what, brother? Brother, I'll tell you what, prayer works. Prayer works. I'll tell you, prayer works. Praise God, prayer works. Well, how do you know it works? Because I prayed. You know what? My sister, she had cancer. The doctor said it was bad. It looked, like, it looked really bad, like terminal. Kind of, and we activated the prayer chain. Don't ask. And we all prayed for her. If you haven't, never mind. We, if, we all prayed for her. And we had so many people praying for her. And she went back to the doctor. And the cancer was gone. Prayer works. You know what? I didn't have a job, and I prayed, and my church prayed, and my friends prayed, and the job opportunity came along, and I got the job, and I didn't have the right qualifications. I have no business having this job. Prayer works. It's like some of you are sitting there right now, and you're saying, yeah, but I did pray, and my loved one didn't make it, and the cancer came back, and I did pray, and I'm still underemployed, and I prayed, and we're still struggling in our marriage. See, it's hard for some of us to process because some Christians walk around all smug going, prayer works, prayer works, and they do seem to get their prayers answered. I don't know what the deal is, but obviously then I'm inferior because I don't know how to pray. Apparently God, I don't know, does he love you more than he loves me? I don't know what the deal is because I've been praying about this thing for a long time and my life isn't going the way I hoped it would by now. And when people say things like prayer works, it just makes you think you'll never figure out and unlock the combination to make prayer work for you. Now, I think there's a core belief at the heart of everything that we talk about when we talk about prayer. And maybe, maybe a core belief at the heart of how we ought to think about prayer. And it goes back to what is the purpose of prayer? So this is where we're going back to some teaching I did a few years ago, and this is something I've repeated over and over since then. So if we sat down over coffee and had this conversation, and I'm repeating myself today... This is how I think. 
Because I think for a lot of us, we think of prayer as a button to be pushed. It's just a button to be pushed. Here's what we're going to do. I tell you what, we're going to get together and pray. We're going to get this person out of the hospital. And we need to keep everybody safe. And we need more money. And we need to get this person a job. And we need this relationship to work out. And we need our kids to turn out right. So I'm just going to push this button. And if I push it in the right way at the right time, God is going to do what I want him to do. So God, here's my list of all the things I want you to do. And I'm not even talking about trivial stuff, right? I'm not talking about your wish list. I'm talking about stuff that really matters, of course, because you're praying about stuff that is near and dear to your heart. You're praying about life and death matters, but maybe we're thinking about prayer as a button to be pushed. And if you've ever been around groups of people praying at church, this is how the church has kind of approached prayer. Just like, well, we'll pray about it. And if you don't get the answer, it's kind of implied that you're not pushing the button right. Or you're not good enough to push the button. Or this is a big one, so the pastor needs to pray for this one. And if you're really honest about how we've approached prayer, it's way too easy for us to think about prayer as a button to be pushed. That also explains why some of us don't pray. Or the reason you don't pray, or the reason, maybe the reason you don't pray a lot, or you don't put a lot of stake in prayer, is because you don't need to pray much, right? For thinking about prayer as a button to be pushed, you got a good job, everyone you love is in good health, school's going well, you got some money left at the end of the month, your relationships are going well, life is pretty good. And if you think prayer is a button to be pushed, and you don't have any urgent needs to be addressed in your life right now, then there's no need to push the button, Right? So if we only think of prayer as a button to be pushed and you're moderately successful and your life is free of any significant crisis, then we won't pray because we don't have a lot to ask for. We don't have any pressing prayer requests. So I want to suggest to you today that prayer fundamentally is not a button to be pushed. Yes, there's a place for prayer requests. There are genuine needs to bring to God and to pour out to God, but prayer is not just a button to be pushed. It's not that. I know this is a little mind-bending for, for some of us, but if prayer is not a button to be pushed, what is it? Anybody? It's a relationship to be pursued. See, some of us have had this conversation a lot. It's a relationship to be pursued. Here's a question. I don't know if, if, uh, if you've ever asked this question of yourself, But here's a different way of thinking about it. What if God is pursuing you? I mean, maybe you're pursuing God, but what if God is pursuing you? What if God is actually pursuing relationship with you? See, most of the world's religions are about how do I find God? How do I find my way to God? How do I get to God? What is he like? How can I find him? And if you go and study like ancient civilizations, you'll see that people were like, we don't know if there is a God, uh, or what that, like what kind of entity that might be. We don't really know. We got lots of questions, but it's been really, really dry. Like it hasn't rained in a long time and we need rain soon because we need to eat. So they would sacrifice things like animals and sometimes people, and they would mark up their bodies and they would go through all kinds of antics and trying to figure out how do we find God? Like, how do we make our way to God? And once we found him, how do we connect with him? That's kind of the universal human instinct. But Christianity tells a different story. Yes, people are looking for God, but listen, 
What if God is also pursuing us? What if He is pursuing you? What if it's that personal? The Christian faith tells this story that Creator God, Father God is pursuing you. That He loves you so much that rather than condemn us for the failures and shortcomings and sin in our lives, rather than simply condemn us for that, He would save us from it. And He sent Jesus, and Jesus came not only to teach, and He was a brilliant teacher, but he came to live and die in our place to bring forgiveness for sin, to bring new life and a new restored relationship with our Heavenly Father. That's God's pursuit of you. So yes, maybe you're sort of pursuing God, maybe barely pursuing God. Maybe when you think of it, hardly, but most sometimes pursuing God. But what if God is also pursuing you? Last year this time, we were teaching through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. I know, you're like, it was just last year? You're like, yeah, it's been a long year. In Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it took us nearly a year, about 10 months. <clears throat> and in those chapters of Matthew, we find the Lord's Prayer. It's the most famous prayer ever prayed. And uh, you may know it by memory. You may, you may not, depending on your church background. But chances are you're at least familiar with it. Maybe you grew up saying it every day in school, depending on your school experience, or maybe depending how old you are, but at least every week. How many of you grew up saying the Lord's Prayer in school? I'm just curious. All right. How many of you ever prayed the Lord's Prayer in school? All right. How many? Okay, never mind. Some of you grew up uh, praying it at least once a week in church, right? Or maybe you're familiar with it, but you can't quite quote it, quote it like from memory. It's the most famous prayer ever prayer, but ever prayed. But here's the thing: like Jesus, it wasn't wasn't really a prayer that Jesus prayed. He didn't actually pray the Lord's Prayer. He was simply offering it as an example for us. And, and because it's really familiar, the temptation as we look at these verses will be to dismiss it because you're so familiar with it. And they're like, oh, that's good for all these other people around here that don't know this, but I know this inside now. So they're probably like, you think maybe there isn't much for us to learn from it. But, but hopefully, if we take some time today, that we'll be reminded of its significance or maybe even discover some new meaning. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, this is Luke chapter 11. And I referenced the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, and that's where we find some verses where we have the Lord's Prayer. This is actually a different occasion, um, but I want to start with this one. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. So, <laughs> just stop right there. This is already kind of weird. Jesus is praying. Does that strike you as strange? I mean, like, why would he need to be praying? Well, there's this relationship between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and that's a completely different teaching series that I'm not going to do anytime soon. But if there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they are in relationship with one another, and they communicate with one another. And we talked about this a little bit, this relationship, a little bit a few weeks ago when we were talking about community. So Jesus is communicating with his Father. He's, commun he's communing with the Father. And this is where that intimacy within the Godhead comes from. It comes from the connection that comes from communication. So, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples, so these are the, these are the guys who have been following Jesus around. Some of them are semi-religious. Some of them are very steeped in religion. But it's very clear to them after watching Jesus pray, they're like, okay, I guess we don't know how to pray. We thought we knew how to pray, but we don't know how to pray. We thought we, had, we knew how to push the button. We had that figured out. But obviously, we don't know how to pray. So one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. 
And Jesus is like, sure. And he says to them, when you pray, say, and this is, this is the most famous prayer in the scripture, and it's so famous that it has a name, right? The Lord's Prayer. I'm going to put this on the screen, and this is actually a combination of Luke 11 and Matthew 6. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. And lead us not into temptations, but deliver us from evil. And then someone added this part that some of us grew up repeating. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the text that we know as the Lord's Prayer. It's actually a combination of both passages from Matthew 6 and Luke 11. But they're lifted right out of Jesus' teaching on prayer in those two passages from the Gospels. And you're like, well, that isn't exactly how I remember it. It's because you were probably most likely quoting from the King James, and this is from the NIV. So just a little bit different there. But depending, and that's kind of our church tradition, right? So depending on your church tradition, you may or may not have added that doxology at the end, the part that says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. If you grew up Catholic, which I know a lot of you did, you didn't include this part. If you grew up in the Protestant tradition, you grew up thinking Jesus actually said these words. But there's a history behind why this was included in the Protestant tradition to begin with. It dates back to the fourth century Latin Vulgate, so that's all we need to say about that, right? Okay, good. We'll do a deep dive sometime, but probably not from here. Uh, And anyway, I come from a Protestant tradition, and so we always prided ourselves on being true to Scripture. So this is one of those cases where the Catholic Church is actually more true to Scripture than our tradition was. Just throwing that out there. Here's what I want us to take home today as we kind of revisit this teaching on prayer. The prayer is not a button to be pushed. It's a relationship to be pursued. So let's start at the beginning. When you pray, how do you normally begin your prayers? Like, how do you begin to pray. And that's a big, like, how do, you, how do you even start? A lot of us begin this way. We begin by addressing God as if, like, we need to get his attention. So, right? So, uh, if you grew up in church, you're like, well, I have to say something nice first. I got to say, I got to acknowledge something good that's going on and uh, before I go to my list of things that I need from God. So um, perhaps I'll butter him up a little bit, tell him what, how thankful I am for, I don't know, this day. <laughs> and then I'm going to get to my list. So, okay, God, hey, God, um, haven't talked to you in a while. I think you probably remember me, but um, here's what's going on in my life. This is what needs to change. This is what needs to happen. Here's what needs to happen at work. Here's what needs to happen at school. Here's what needs to happen in my family. Here's what has to happen financially for me. Here's the way I see the world, God, so would you please make things kind of work out the way that I think they should work out? Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. So we begin with a quick introduction in our prayers, and we jump into our list and our needs, you know, part in it, and we push the button stuff. But here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. He said, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when he's talking about the model for prayer that all of us should follow, he says, you should pray this way. What this does is it introduces a battle, a battle that I think you probably experience, whether you acknowledge it or not, whether you're a Christian or not. It's a battle that almost every, like every human being, not almost every human being experiences, and it's a battle that I go through. It's a battle between two kingdoms. 
It's the central battle. When it comes to prayer, when it comes to life in general, you're like, God's kingdom and Satan. Nope. It's my kingdom and God's kingdom. The battle between my kingdom and God's kingdom. The battle that you will have, the battle that you'll have in your prayer life, the battle you'll have in prayer is simply this, the battle between the way you see the world and the way God sees the world. And Jesus addresses this in the way that he begins this prayer. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So you could look at that and focus on heaven, our Father in heaven. See, we know that life on this earth is not the way God intended it to be, right? It's not, life isn't the way that God initially intended it. Like maybe, maybe your life isn't going the way you hoped it would be by now. You're frustrated, you're disappointed, maybe you're angry at God, uh, or maybe things are going great, you know, but there is an emptiness to your success and a growing kind of emptiness that you can't really solve. And every time you get a raise or you close a deal or you get a promotion or you take a vacation or you make a big purchase and, or whatever, you settle back into your routine and the emptiness is still there. What is that? C.S. Lewis calls it a longing for heaven. That that discontent that you feel is a longing for something beyond this world. So what's the significance that we have a God, a Father in heaven? Like, can we really make that connection? I think it'd be healthy to sit right in that and focus on that and meditate on that idea. But what if we came back another day and focused on another word? What if we said our Father in heaven? Jesus does something radical here. He addresses God in a personal way, in a relational way. That was groundbreaking in his day. In the religious climate that he was living in a couple thousand years ago, people didn't talk to God that way. They had all kinds of names for God and descriptors for God, but to think of God as Father, that had never occurred to them. So what does it mean that you have a relationship with the God who created you? What does that mean? What difference does that make? Father in heaven. And I know some of you have had bad relationships with your father. And the last thing you want to do is call God Father because that does not have a good connotation for you because your father wound is deep. And I get that and I respect that. But maybe it's the only context you know for relating to God as Father. So it gets confusing. Maybe it's actually held you back in your ability to experience intimacy with your Heavenly Father. So I get that. And I think it's a process to engage in. I think we all, what we long for is a healthy relationship with Father God. So what does it mean for me that he's in heaven? What does that have to do with that longing in my soul? What does it mean for me that I get to call him father? I guess it means he wants a relationship with me. Maybe that he pursues me. He loves me. He forgives me. Then you can come back another time in prayer and look at it this way. Our father in heaven. Our father. And we're like, wait a minute. Wait, wait. This is, we live in a very individualistic Western modern culture. It's about me, my father, my father, my, 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 my father, me. Remember, this is, we call this the Lord's Prayer, but this isn't his prayer. His prayer is in John 17. Again, we talked about this prayer a few weeks ago where he prays for us. But here he's teaching his disciples and he's teaching all of us how to pray. And he says, when you pray, pray this way, our father in heaven. And so all of a sudden, the idea of prayer is a little bit bigger than me and bigger than my needs, and bigger than my wants, and my wish list, and my deal, and me, 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 me. We're part of a community. We're in this together. 
our Father in heaven. And that's an assault on my selfishness. That's an assault on my tendency to think that the whole universe revolves around me. Next line, verse 9. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Or depending on your church tradition, hallowed. What does this mean? This isn't a word we use every day, hallowed. The New Living Translation says it this way. It says, may your name be kept holy. Because hallowed actually means holy. The idea that God's name is hallowed, it is holy, it is, it is above every other name, including my own. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So now we get into the battle, right? With this battle between the two kingdoms. And the challenge that we're going to face, Jesus says, you need to declare that God's kingdom first. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And there's something inside me that fights that, right? There's something in us that fights that because when we get our hands on that and we add our twist and our commentary, instead of praying your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we end up praying something like my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in my mind. Because that's what I naturally pray. See, I just pray my kingdom come, I want my will to be done and all the stuff that's on my list, if you would do that, God, that would be great. See, if we were to honestly kind of audit our prayer lives, it's probably what you pray a lot of the time too, right? God, I just kind of want what I want, and I would never say it exactly this way, but it is what I mean. I want what I want, and I want what I think, because if I was running the world, I'd do a better job than you are right now. I don't know what, what is going on. If you would just ask for my advice, God, I'd be happy to give it. I got lots of great ideas that you apparently haven't thought of yet. I mean, in my life, like in my family, when I look at what's happening at work, when I look at what's happening in my, in, in my health, maybe, or in the health of someone I care about, or in my finances, I just want to tell you, God, I would be doing it differently than you are because I want my kingdom and I want my will uh, to be done. So D Jesus starts by introducing us to the fundamental battle of our lives. And this is why this is so important, regardless of where you sit on the spiritual spectrum. If you're a fully devoted follower of Jesus, if you're enjoying a growing relationship with Jesus, if you're just getting started, if you haven't quite crossed the line of faith, if you're on the outside looking in, you've got lots of questions that you want answered first, wherever you are, it's important because when your kingdom wins, you lose. When my kingdom wins, I lose. If your kingdom wins, you lose. As much as you pray about your kingdom, come on, come on, come on, come on, God, get with the program. Come on, let's go. We got some stuff here. I've been praying about this for like two days now. Like, come on, chop, chop, let's go. But if your kingdom wins, you lose. And see, you and I instinctively pray that selfishly. Maybe you're, well, pretty good chance you're more sensitive to the needs of people around you than I am. It's quite possible. But if my kingdom wins, I lose. And if your kingdom wins, you lose. Because God designed life and he designed things to work in a certain way. And Jesus even talks about denying, about dying to yourself and denying yourself and following him and living for his kingdom. And you might be thinking, well, okay, I get that. I can see what you're saying. If my kingdom wins, I lose. But one of the reasons I pray is because I have problems. So what about my problems? I mean, if I'm just praying, you know, Father in heaven, my Father in heaven is just so amazing. I get to call you Father and your name is so holy and your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What about my problems? When I get to talk to God about my problems, I got all kinds of them. See, sometimes we let our whole lives be defined by our problems. And the issue isn't that you 
that you, you know, don't have big problems. I'm not going to try to, I'm not going to stand up here and say your problems aren't that big. I would never, never supposed to do that. But the idea is that we all need a God who is bigger than our problems. And that's why Jesus started with God. Here's the good news. As big as your problems might be, as big as the problem that you're facing this week might be, the God that you serve and who created you and who's pursuing a relationship with you is bigger than all that. In this battle of kingdoms, this is what we're really praying. It's like, okay, God, I need a, I, I need a big God right now. I need, a, I need a God who's bigger than my problems. Your kingdom come. There's a kingdom other than my kingdom, so your kingdom come. There's an agenda other than my agenda, so your will be done. There's a kingdom that's bigger than mine, that's better than mine, that will outlast mine. So, Father, your kingdom come. I want to know you as you really are. I want to focus on your goodness and your love and your grace and your forgiveness and your provision. So this week, I want to challenge us to pray, and I really hope you will. I hope you'll create some time in your schedule, some mar- carve out some margin in your life where you can pray. And I hope that even in these two lines of the Lord's Prayer, that you will find something to guide you as you pray. I think as we do, as we pray, as Jesus instructed, we'll find that our problems come into proper perspective as we focus on God. And I don't know what your problems are. That's why I would never try to minimize them, but God knows. Oh, and your problems? Here's the deal. We're going to talk about that as we work our way through the Lord's Prayer because you get to bring that to God. But for now, we're going to start right here. Start with God and start with God as He really is. So this week, Let's pray to God daily in Jesus' name, using the Lord's Prayer as our guide. This is something we could do together collectively. Pray to God daily using the Lord's Prayer as our guide. And you're like, that is so radical. Not really, but uh, I know you're like, I already do that. Great. But so here's the thing. If we can commit to do this as a church, even though we'll be doing this on our own, let's pray and let's engage in this, this practice with an awareness that although we're doing this in solitude, we're also doing it together. That others in our church family are engaging in this practice this week too. So when we pray, our Father, we're engaging in this together. And for the first few days, we might be terrible at this, right? Because it takes about 15 seconds to pray this, and then you're like, out of material again. So, but maybe that's all that praying you need to get in that day. So let's pray using the Lord's Prayer as our guide and see what happens. Because here's what I believe. I believe that God is pursuing us. I believe God's pursuing you. Whether you're pursuing God or, or not, God's pursuing you. And for those of you who have like, struggled so hard to figure out how to pursue God, isn't this good news? Isn't it amazing that the God who created the universe might be pursuing you? He wants relationship with you. He's pursuing you not so he can get you. He's pursuing you so he can enjoy relationship with you. Prayer above all things is not a button to be pushed. It's a relationship to be pursued. So this week, it's up to us. But if you're daring enough and bold enough, let's pray this prayer. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer. And you can even just stop right there, just the stuff with the verses we've talked about today. 
Let's use that as our, as our guide as we pray this week. Let's stop and pray right now. Heavenly Father, when it comes to prayer, oh man, there's a lot to think about. There's a lot to process. There's a lot that's kind of thrown our way and we have to kind of sort it all out. And we haven't quite figured out what the formula is and what order and is there an organized... There's just a lot. So thank you for, in this opportunity, when your disciples asked you, show us how to pray, you kept it so simple, so basic, so straightforward. Thank you, God, for teaching us how to pray. I think there's enough here in these opening lines of, of this prayer to keep us going for a lifetime. God, I pray for everybody who came in today with big problems. God, on their behalf today, I just want to acknowledge and declare that you are God who created the universe. You're, you're big enough. We don't always understand why things go the way they do in life, but today we want to trust you. We want to focus on a God who is everything that we need. And we trust you and we surrender our wills to your will. Today we want to pray, your kingdom come. In Jesus' name, amen.